Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, and joining us on our phone from Kansas City, somebody who's got an alarm going off uh, and is also a a frequent guest of our podcast, and we just love having him on. He's such a cute guy. Uh, Evan Grant. Hey, hello. Uh, Is is this, what is it? Is it Kelvin? Kerwin? (laughs) Kerwin, Calvin. Yeah, you sound like my father-in-law now. Ah, well, I'm always aiming for father-in-law humor. Father-in-law humor, yes, sir, absolutely. So, Evan, those uh, those Rangers are up there in Royalville, and uh, and this is we're we're taping this on Tuesday morning. So they they won last night. Gosh, gosh, almighty, those uh, those Rangers, they're just they're just piling up the wins now. Yes, piling them up. Three in a row over two teams below 500. Yeah. But hey, you got to beat who's on the schedule, and uh, they've certainly played um, better here uh, over the last few days. Um, I, I really think if you want to go back, the play, particularly offensively, has gotten better here uh, lately because of the team's willingness to start uh, not looking at the strike, not looking at the entire. Um, uh, air zone over the park as the strike zone. Yeah. They, uh, right. They've started having a little bit of plate discipline. You know, it's funny. I was watching that that big comeback the other night, and the end of it, and and it was exa- was exactly that. And and you know, uh, I've always thought that you know the the whole concept of of uh, you know uh, people misconstrue being patient at the plate. You know, what, what What they think that means is you get up there and you, then you take eight or nine pitches, you know, or you, you have an eight or nine pitch at bat. And that's and that's always good if you can get that kind of thing. But, you know, what what you're doing is what Shin Su Chu does, which is I'm just looking for my pitch. If you're going to throw me my pitch on the first pitch, well, then I'm swinging at it, you know, as you should do. Uh, you're looking for your pitch. But in the case of the, of the Rangers, and especially in that big comeback the other night, they were extremely patient, and I think that teams now maybe, you know, the book on the Rangers has been just just throw it up there. These guys are free swingers. They'll get themselves in trouble, and, and they're no longer doing that. And, 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 of course, this is what they should do, especially uh, Joey Gallo, who's still struggling to get his average up over 200. Uh, he needs to be more uh, a patient up there, and, and that is when Joey has been at his best is when he is taking walks as well. That's what's usually when he was going well last year, even though his batting average wasn't great, his on-base percentage was was pretty good because he was taking a lot of walks. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, for me right now, he's the one guy who still um, isn't quite there. And when it comes to uh, his approach at the plate, it's certainly not what it was last year. Um, it's been far more indiscriminate here. And, uh, I'll buy the idea that Joey's never going to be a 300 hitter, that he's going to be kind of a statistical freak. But to be a statistical freak, and if he's going to hit down around the low 200s, his on-base percentage 
and his slugging percentage have got to be above three three thirty and five hundred respectively. And he's well below both those numbers at this point this year. He's a two ninety on base guy and he's a four forty five um OP uh slugging guy. So it's it it's it's gotta improve. I, I think you know, we go back to, to Joey and I do think he's trying to make adjustments and a lot of times we don't see results in the process. But he is trying to think left field a little bit more often. Um, and I, it, it's essential because he's going to continue to lose hit to, to the shift. And he's going to continue to have unproductive at-bats. If he's, if he's incapable of bunting when they give him the entire left side of the field, if he's incapable of slapping the ball um, or slashing the ball the other way, those are the things he's got to do. I mean, that's the easiest way right now to to up the on-base percentage, to up the batting average, and, and along with it, we'll go the slug. Let me ask you something, because this is something I, I read the, uh, the other day by Buster Olney, and, and I was really surprised by it, about the, the things to, to do to, to counteract um, – you know the all the uh, the lack of offense now because of the shifts and and uh, and because of uh, relief pitchers and, and actually limiting teams to four pitchers a game. I you know I don't particularly like what's happening in baseball, but but you can't have things like four pitchers a game, can you? That just sounds crazy to me. Yeah, it is crazy, and I mean the bottom line here is it's um it's not up to baseball. It really shouldn't be up to baseball to change the rules and make it easier for the offenses to get going because there are opportunities for offenses to get going. And it just comes down to, hey, if you got to, if, if you got to choke up to make a little bit of contact, uh, with two strikes, then you choke up to make contact. And if it's a little less defense, if it's a little less offensive swing in that situation, then so be it. The name of the game is not making out and, I think we, I think, you know, in, in some regards, in, in the era of data analytics, we have perverted some of the things that, that still contribute to winning baseball. And uh, you just can't have, you know, you can't have situations like Joey going up there with the entire left side of the field open and him striking out. It's just an invitation by the other team to here have a base. And, he he's got to take that. Yeah, I you know it, it's embarrassing when you do not have an infielder on the left side of the infield. There is not an infielder on the left side. I, I just and of course he he did get one bunt down the other day over there. Um, and you know and and one's just not enough. You know if someone's and, and, gonna, if you, and, but you Kevin, this isn't to just beat up on Joey. I mean, your question was about about basically about baseball and what it can and should and, and might need to do. No, it's up to the players. You know, the, the, Joey's not the only guy getting shifted. No, um, no, absolutely. A lot not. of guys are getting shifted, and and they've got to be willing to make the sacrifices necessary to get on base. And that's the way you loosen up the shift. If you hit the ball the other way, you get on base. You prove to opponents you can, uh, whether it's, it's slap the ball the other way or drive the ball the other way, whatever you need to do. You make those adjustments. You do that, you're going to loosen up the shift. And to this point, there's Joey and, and a lot of other guys have not done that. 
And as, as I recall, Evan, did uh, after Joey got that bunt single to the left side, did the third baseman not come over after that and play basically in the shortstop hole after playing behind second? Yeah, I believe he did. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing is these teams are shifting now with each pitch. Um, right. Teams that uh, uh, are with one strike now, they're – they're not against Joey with one strike. They're they're pulling the even if they put the guy on the left hand side of the field. If he gets to one strike, they feel he won't bunt with one strike. So then they pull the third baseman back on the right side of the field. Um, and you know you, there may have to be hey if you're going to end up striking out in some of that, you may have to go down. You may have to go down. I hate saying this, but you may have to go down bunting once or twice to let teams know that you're going to be somewhat unpredictable because right now this is just a predictable hit. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and he is, you know, he's still got power. And uh, I kind of, uh, I, I look at, at him and Ronald Guzman and, you know, Joey's still uh, offensively, his, his numbers, his flash line is still, uh, this month, you know, significantly above where Guzman is, and and, and my point there is, you know, you, you got to find a way to get on base. It doesn't matter if it's if it's the big swing or if it's not. You got to find a way to get on base. And this guy's got abilities. He's got tools. I think he's gotten out of what made him successful last year, um, and he's he's got to get back to it. All right, let's talk about something else here that, uh, uh, you know, we had a, a, a really good a feel-good story here the other day with Jose Trevino coming up on Father's Day and getting the game winning and hit his first Father's Day, and then, of course, him getting very emotional about his uh, uh, father and how he dedicated that to, to him. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about uh, the, the backdrop of that story. Yeah, you know, I, I – um I've taken a lot of interest in Jose Trevino over over the past couple of seasons just because he is the kind of kid that you gravitate towards because he does show an awful lot of hard work ethic and, and he's, he's very humble. And, and it really touched me. Um, I, I, the week had been amazing for him well before Sunday. Um, as we said, you know, he, he had his first baby on June 10th, uh, got that unexpected call-up that was supposed to be just for one night. Um, on Friday because of Robinson Torino's suspension, ended up playing most of that game. Um, got his first big league hit the next day on Saturday and his first big league start that also drove in the tying run. And then just when you think it can't get any better, you know, he has this walk-off blue pit to score one of his best friends in, in yet another Rangers come-from-behind win. Um, and, and afterwards when I saw the video and he, he teared up, I, I could understand, obviously, why he was tearing up and, and why he was emotional, but I just wanted to find out a little bit more. And, and I talked to Jose, talked, and, and he put me in touch with his mom, and I got on the phone with his mom yesterday, and, and she just started telling me the story of how they lost his dad, and uh, it, it just was overpowering. And in the background there is that uh, the mom and the dad, uh, who lived in Alice, and, and had drove up from Alice to Waco to see Jose's first college game in 2012 uh, in Waco against Baylor. Uh, he was playing for Oral Roberts. Uh, it was a Friday in February. Um, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Trevino had been had had some some um, 
uh, pneumonia problems, but was over the over the issue. Um, they sat through a game that was cold and, and misty. Uh, the next day, the game was rained out uh, and was going to be played as a doubleheader. Um, Jose got his first hit in that Friday game, so he saw his first college hit. And then Saturday, with no game, um, uh, they were waiting for the doubleheader on Sunday. Joe got sick, uh, started started coughing. There he, he coughed up some blood. He ended up uh, overnight going to the hospital. Um, everybody thought that it was a case where he had another bout of pneumonia, um, and he did, uh, but he had pneumonia in both lungs. Um, over the next 24 hours, the, 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 his breathing became much more labored. Uh, that led to cardiac arrest, and Jose never saw his father again. Um, uh, his father was in, well, he saw his father, but not conscious and, and not in a state of any recognition. Um, his father was in a coma for 18 months uh, before ultimately passing away. And, uh, you know, that was six years ago. And, and I think Jose has, has carried that around for an awful long time that, you know, he felt this pressure. Um, he felt the pride of his father. Uh, his last words to Jose on that Friday night were, I, I, I love you, man. I'm so proud of you. And um, I think he's, he felt a lot of that pressure. Uh, I think he felt um, felt really driven that he had to reach the big leagues um, to, to to just kind of realize the dream, and for it to all happen in such a short, compacted period of time. Uh, I, I think just by the end of Sunday, overwhelmed him. He he said that was what the, the, the that's what the case was that it just all kind of really rushed rushed to the forefront and hit him after the game Sunday. And it's just one of those stories, ultimately this long explanation is it's one of those stories that the human life intersects with baseball and and we do ultimately, we follow sports, I, I think because of the human element. And when you find a story like that, when you just happen to fall right into a story like that, you want to tell it for people. And, and I think it's the kind of thing that, that draws people to the players. That draws them to um, uh, that draws them to the game, and, and it really was an overpowering story for me to hear yesterday. I just kind of shook as his mom was telling me the whole the whole recollection. Yeah, and it was really nice uh, when you watched uh, that game, and when Isaiah Conifalef, as you as you mentioned, they're good friends, and when he scored from, uh, um, I believe he scored from second base on that play, and the yeah, as as he scored, he got up and made a beeline to first uh, to go give his pal a hug, which was nice. You know, it was he's conscious of that. You know, he's. He's a smart kid, and you can tell that by the way he plays, and very uh, aware of what's going on. And and uh, you know, for one thing, just getting good reads on balls in the outfield, and, uh, and you know when he's on the base pass, and uh, so and then to to understand that situation as well as he did. Well, two two things there. Isaiah said, you know, that he really really wanted to score for Jose because he had some idea what the hit meant would would mean to him on Father's Day. Um, and he did get a great read, and his his explanation yesterday when I was talking to him was, you know, I saw that the shortstop wasn't going to make the play, and if he's not going to make that play, if, if, if I saw that I couldn't make that play, and if I couldn't make that play, I know he couldn't make that play, and so there was no way 
that uh, anybody was going to stop me and I, I was going to score. So he got a good read, um, understood the situation. Um, and, and, you know, Jose and Isaiah uh, have pretty much played uh, as teammates every year. And, and the thing here is not a whole lot of people knew this story about Jose's father and knew the details. Um, Isaiah was one of the few who did because in 2015 at Hickory, uh, they were in, um, I think it was, forget whose apartment it was at, but Isaiah was not playing very much and he was frustrated and he started to uh, get down and feel a little bit sorry for himself. And they sat him down and told him the whole story and, and basically explained, you have to be grateful. You know, you, you, there's a lot of other situations out there that, that could be worse. So whatever your opportunity is here, be grateful for it. And, and take the most of it. I think that meant a lot to Iz at that point in time, and I think Iz wanted to replay, repay it um, uh, to Jose uh, when, when he got the chance. So um, it, it really is a heartwarming story, and it's the kind of thing that in a season that, that's just not going to go real well for the Rangers long term, you've got all these young kids up here, and they're learning lots of lessons about baseball, also some lessons about life and about uh uh, being a teammate, and, and those are the nice stories to see. Speaking of Connor Falafa, he is also going to get his first start at catcher. So, uh, so tell us how that's going to go. Well, I, I don't know. If I knew how that would end up going, I'd probably make a bet on it and be very rich. Um, but he's going to start Wednesday. He's going to get his first major league start Wednesday. Um, he has he's. He's put the gear on a couple times since he's been up here, but, you know, he hasn't done a whole lot of catching work. Um, but I think the, the upshot of all this, Kevin, is that Isaiah has played so well and shown the Rangers so much aptitude and feel for the game that their feeling was um, he deserves to be up here. And if he makes some mistakes behind the plate, he will learn from them and get better, and uh, they feel like he can handle it. So he's going to start on Wednesday. He probably will then again start sometime during the weekend, and if he does that, he will have started multiple times this year at second base, shortstop, third base, and catcher. And my research last night indicated that in the last 100 years of baseball, there's only been one player who had multiple starts at all four of those positions in the same year, uh, so this is indeed um, an attempt at, at at kind of reclassifying the utility role, and and, 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 and of course that one player was Babe Ruth. It was Marty Martinez of the Atlanta Braves and your eventual Houston Astro. That's right. On. He was. He was um, an Astro. Marty Martinez. But, uh, you know, Isaiah's comment yesterday was, I'm looking forward to, I'm excited about showing them what the new utility role is like. And, and if he can pull this off, and he's also going to work out some in the outfield. If he can pull this off, he's going to have, um, he's not going to go back to the minor leagues. He's always going to have a role. And uh, you have to sit there and, and, and just kind of nod your head to what this kid has accomplished this year in terms of making himself a not just a viable piece, but a vital piece of, of where this team is going. So, speaking of uh, 
people in the infield and baseball players. You know, how about that for a segue? Um, good, good segue, Kevin. Yeah, we're really good, wasn't it? So now uh, Elvis Andrus is back, uh, which means that uh, uh, Jerks and Profar is no longer the starting shortstop. Um, going forward, you know, we, we you've first of all we we've talked about how Jerks and Profar has has been for a couple of seasons now. They tried to make him into that super utility player. He clearly did not like the role, and they couldn't make it work uh, either. And and we've all agreed that he's much better off if he's playing every day. So now, what are they going to do with him? And will will that impact uh, Ruggi Odor in any way? I I think that if it impacts Ruggi Odor in in any way, it impacts him in that um, he becomes a regular starter, but he doesn't become a hundred and fifty five, hundred and sixty game starter. Uh, Profar is going to play probably. Kevin, are you, are you okay there? Uh, I was just coughing a little bit. Did you hear that? I, I hit the little, I hit the sleep button, panic button, as we call it. Um, no, I, I heard it. I heard it loud and clear. I was a little bit worried about you. Oh actually. no. Um, but uh, Profar will be something of a utility guy, but he's going with. But the priority, I think, now is different, and I think the priority is play him. And the Rangers have the Rangers met with he, uh, with, with Profar, with Beltre, with Odor, and Andrus yesterday, uh, and they talked about outlining some of the playing situation. Uh, the big thing is that Beltre is not going to play third base every day, uh, as we've seen since he came back from the DL. Um, that will extend long term. Uh, Odor will get. Uh, at least one day off a week, um, maybe two. And I think that as Elvis Andrus continues to work, I think the Rangers have a couple off days coming up here in the next in the next two weeks, um, and Elvis has some catching up to do with at bats. But I think that as as you go forward, I think that Elvis is going to get a little bit more off time uh, at shortstop as well. Now the question I think that you have is. How will Profar respond if he's playing second one day and short another and third another? Uh, I think that right now um, the guy is in a good place. He's played every day for two months. If the Rangers continue to play him every day uh, and don't add the outfield element to it, and they have no intention of adding the outfield to it, uh, no intention of playing him at first base, I think that those three middle infield positions, or those three, the two middle infield positions and third base, uh, I, I think that we don't have the answer as to how it will work out, but I think the Rangers have created the best possible situation for him to potentially have success going forward and, and kind of put that past experience behind him. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how he handles that. You know, it's funny. He kind of had his moments at, at shortstop, uh, not defensively. He, he certainly did not do well, uh, particularly well defensively. Uh, he did have his moments offensively. He showed some power, um, and uh, which is kind of what the the book on him was all along, that he would have some power for a shortstop and, and, and had the potential to hit 15 or 20 home runs a year. And, um, and I, I think he could do that. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm just not sure how I feel about him. I, I feel like that Jerickson's going to have a, a, a big league career, uh, probably not with the Rangers, but he, I believe he'll 
probably play a long time because he does have the ability to to play the middle infield and has a little pop. Um, but he's just going to have to keep improving uh, to stay in the big leagues. He's just not good well, enough defensively, and he's not making enough contact either. Well, I, I think that um, this this plan going forward also allows the Rangers to keep him in the lineup and then put and, and therefore potentially continue to push his trade value a little bit more um, upward. Maybe not as an everyday shortstop, certainly not as an everyday shortstop for a contender, because if you look at the contending teams, uh, they're very, very talented at shortstop with elite players. Uh, but maybe as a utility guy for, for a contending team. Um, I think what I've seen over the past two months, um, especially given how much service time he has, uh, indicates to me that if you're rebuilding, if you're the Rangers and you're rebuilding and you're contemplating whether or not he's going to be your shortstop of the future, I think that you'd have to make the evaluation that probably he's not because the arm does appear to be a little bit short. I think it, I don't know if it, if it would ever recover um, with everyday play, but I think that that's, you know, that's residue of, of, of the, the shoulder surgery that he underwent and the two seasons he missed. And and, and so for me, you know, I, I think the Rangers have a tough decision here in that they don't have a shortstop on the, on the horizon uh, either who's an everyday shortstop. And they're going to have to make a decision about do they keep Elvis Andrews, who over the previous two years played at the level of an elite shortstop. Uh, he's about to turn 30 in August. Uh, I don't know if he will opt out of his contract at this point in time because I'm not so sure that there's a great market for for shortstops because of the glut right now, the Lindors and Correas and Gregoriuses. Uh, Machado is playing shortstop now. It's a, it, you know, the, 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 it's a pretty deep field in, in, at that position. Um so I think the Rangers are going to have a difficult time kind of sorting through that over the next five weeks of do they pursue a deal for Elvis? Is there a match out there for Elvis? Um, and if not, uh, do they have to try and renegotiate his deal uh, to make sure he doesn't opt out after the season? But from my perspective, I, I feel like what we've seen over the past two months was necessary. It was necessary to get a feel for Profar but I don't think we've seen enough for the for the Rangers to say we're good going forward with Jerks and Profar as our everyday shortstop. No, I don't think they are either. And you know, I think at this point, to, to me, uh, the problem with with trading Elvis, and I realize they're not going to be competitive next year either, um, and probably not uh, the year after that. Uh, but the, the, my problem is, is that you got to have a guy, you got to have an older guy on the team who has some institutional knowledge, a guy that who's a leader, you know, because you're going to be losing Beltre. And so mm-hmm. ne- and next up is Elvis. I just think that kind of thing is really important. When you raise a team and it's all young guys, even if they're really talented, uh, I think that they can develop a lot of bad habits uh, if they don't have the right kind of players, veteran players on the club to kind of help them through that. Uh, and so I do well, you know, when the, Rangers, when the Rangers rebuilt again – in 2007, um, and they traded Mark Teixeira, 
they kept their 30-year-old shortstop at that point in time and Michael Young in a lot of ways because they were rebuilding and they thought that that Michael would be the kind of guy to to shepherd them into the future. And and that was very much the case. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if Elvis and Michael are a great comp for one another in the clubhouse. I think Elvis um, has grown up a tremendous amount, but I also think Michael was was one of a kind when it comes to to, to understanding the dynamics of, of being a clubhouse leader. But I do agree with you that I think that, that Elvis' presence, um, both as a, a contributor to the team and as a leader, has grown significantly, and, and I think that's got to be a factor in in what they do going forward, too, because you look around the field, and you could, you know, conceivably you could have next year, um, you could have some combination of Kiner Falefa and, and uh, Trevino catching, um, Ronald Guzman at first, Odor at second. Um, I don't know what they'd have at third. Uh, Mazzara in right, DeShields in center, Gallo in left, and Willie Calhoun possibly at DH. There's the, the oldest among that, that group, would be, you know, outside of Elvis, would be Delano DeShields at 26 years old. And so you need a guy. You need a guy who can, who can be something of a stabilizing force inside the club. Yeah, no question about that. Now, now you left uh, uh, Shinsu Chu out of that mix. I wanted to run this past you, Evan, uh, and I th- maybe we've discussed this on the podcast, and maybe we haven't. We've, we've talked about it. Um, so here, here you've got a guy who's owed twenty million a year through twenty twenty. Is that correct? That is correct. And uh, uh, and he's and he's been hitting really well lately. Been playing very well lately. Uh, which would have to make him more attractive. And I'm wondering if you're not going to get anybody to take that $20 million on, that, which is essentially $40 million on uh, at this point. Well, that's actually, the rest of this year, it's more than $40 million. But There's what, still about $50 million left. Yeah. So what, what if you said, listen, we will take on $15 million a year over the next two years if you give us two nice prospects in return? Look, I, I think here, here's, Here's where I think the Rangers are with with Chu, and and let me let me start this by saying the way Chu has approached everything since the middle of 2015 has been exemplary. Um, and if you go back and look at his on base percentage, which is really what his driving force was when he came here uh, since the middle of 2015, and the reason I use that is he talked about the conversation he had with his wife during the All Star break in 2015 and how he put his mind to ease over some of the pressures associated with the contract. And he's got the fifth-best on-base percentage in the American League since that time. So he has performed on-base-wise in a, in a league where the on-base percentage appears to be going down dramatically. Uh, he's performed on-base-wise at an elite level. Now, you take all of that, and, and on top of all that, the guy has had the great approach in the clubhouse. When we talk about leadership, He's taking the approach in the clubhouse that if this season is lost, if this team is rebuilding, what he can do is pay it forward in the way that, that guys like Travis Hafner did for him when he was in Cleveland uh, and that Victor Martinez did. Guys who, when they saw him coming along as a young player, they helped him become a better player. So he has handled the situation magnificently. 
That said, that $50 million is left, um, and his position uh, on the team right now, uh, you know, do stand in the way potentially of, of getting Willie Calhoun to the big leagues and having an everyday role for Willie Calhoun. And I think that's going to be necessary at some point. Um, and, and so what you do with, with two is you have one of two ways that you can go. He's played well enough that maybe if somebody is willing to take on the player, uh, and as you said, you you pay even the remaining $50 million of the contract to get legitimate prospects back in return, that's one way that you can uh, manipulate the market. And if somebody's not willing to give you prospects in return, but they will take on some of the salary, whether it's 5 or 7 or $10 million a year, then you've saved some money um, that you can apply towards the future and created that space for Willie Calhoun. So I do think that, that over the next six weeks, uh, trying to find a space for for Sinchuchu uh, will be significant. I do think that, you know, there is a team out there that, that has had real trouble um, getting production in right field, which is where Chu plays when he's in the field, and that lost something of a DH uh, um, uh, to, an, to an arm injury. Uh, and that's the, the Los Angeles Angels. And how difficult it would be for the Rangers and Angels to contemplate a, a, a trade, I, I don't know. But I certainly feel like the the Angels uh, have all the the uh, conditions uh, necessary for, for them to be a good fit for Shinshu Chu. Yeah. I, I just think that this is something they need, really need to do. And you're right. Uh, you know, Chu is a professional and has handled himself very well in all of this. And, and uh, you know, he, he's kind of become a, a whipping boy for a lot of the things that have gone wrong with the Rangers in the last couple of years. Um, uh, I, I do think that he has uh, figured out, you know, uh, or I, I think the way the Rangers have played him by playing him just part-time in the outfield and then DH him has, has kept him healthy and allowed him to uh, be more productive, and, and I think that's certainly what any team that would acquire him would uh, would want to do as well. Uh, I, I do think he's a valuable piece on a good team. I can see, you know, because he has such a great approach at the plate, and when the when uh, at bats become so much more, uh, uh, there's so much more inspection on them in in the postseason and you get such great pitching then, I think he becomes even more valuable at that point. And so I, I could see him playing a role for a team in the playoffs. If uh, it, And I haven't really studied the teams and, and what some of the – what some of the you know uh, issues would be and, and where he would fit best, um, but I just feel like well, they, I do they think, just have I to do, do that. With him, I do think with him you are you are pretty much limited to a, an American League club because yeah. I do think that you want him as a part-time outfielder um, and and full-time DH. I mean, you right. want him as a full-time player, no question, but only part-time in the outfield and. And so the American League becomes a much a much more attractive situation. I'm just looking here real quickly. I did this a, a week ago, um, but let's just update it. Just looking at, at OPS among DHs in the American League um, by team. You know, uh, of the of the contending teams, um, the DH position. Uh, see the Yankees lead 
The Red Sox are second, the Astros are third, the Indians are fourth, the Mariners are fifth, and then come the Angels. So the Angels who lost Shohei Otani um, are the one team that's in some degree of, of contention uh, with with a potential need for a DH or an upgrade there. And you factor in that the Angels also really have struggled in right field this year, and maybe there is a fit there for two. And listen, I I cannot say emphatically enough how impressed I have been with how Chu has handled the situation since last year when he really did move into more of a, a predominant DH. The guy has not complained once. He's just simply gone out there and tried to hone his craft. Um, and, and his approach to dealing with the adversity uh, of this season uh, and, and where the Rangers are is what you'd want to hear out of every player. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, if they can find a place for him, uh, that's going to be a real win for this team and, and for this season. But it's also a real testament to to what she has been able to do at the age of 35, approaching 36. Evan, it's been a little bit of heaven uh, talking to you with Kevin and Evan. Uh, yeah, this is really good stuff, isn't it? I like this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might keep this up. But, you know. Sterling, this, is, this has been great. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Doug's in here now getting ready for the TV, sh- you know, shoot. Uh, I don't know who they got coming in today. You know, one of our one of our prima donnas is going to come in here and, and speak for a couple of seconds and then go back and, you know, smoke some cigars. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's what they do. That's, that's how it is in the highfalutin world of real journalism these days. Nothing but time and expensive cigars on our hands. There you go. There you go. And. Evan, are you going to be back in the uh, back in the office next week for the podcast? I I will be um, back next week, um, uh, and I will be there with you um, to talk about the Rangers and any other various topics that we'd like to discuss. Maybe we can um, go off on some other things. That'd be great. I always like it when we go off on stuff. Evan, thanks for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Uh, have a good time up there. Don't stuff yourself with too much barbecue. Thank you, Kevin. Have a nice day. You too. There goes Evan Grant, a frequent guest on this podcast. We love having him on. He's a, he's a great he's a great little guy. Got a lot of good opinions. Uh, gets a lot of uh, different crazy wacky sounds uh, on his uh, on his microphone, but uh, but we we wade through all that because of what he brings to the table. So we're, that's our Rangers podcast for this week. Uh, we will also have a, a Cowboys podcast coming up here with our old pal, Babe Loffenberg. Uh, he'll be in to talk about uh, just a little bit of everything about those Cowboys. So uh, from everybody in here to everybody out there, so long. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.